Welcome to Crest. I'm your host, Tom Anderson. And I'm producer Dodd. In today's episode, we'll be talking about... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Dodd, you've left it recording. The kids are playing with the computer. <laughs> oh, well, too late now. We, uh, we're going to have to just run with it, mate. Oh, oh well, how are we going to get ourselves out of there? All right, well, let's swap. Right, you want to swap roles then, you kids? All right, fine. Hello, I'm Logan Nickel. And I'm PLD, a.k.a. Patrick Langdon Dark, the man who thinks he deserves initials at the age of 21. Only trouble is, Logan Nickel and PLD don't present Crest, do they? No. So we're going to have to fess up now, we've been rumbled. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, Logan and Pat are with us, um, but they're uh, they're coming up in a fortnight's time, isn't that right, boys? Yep. Um, and uh, before that, we're going to be handing, handing the show over to Rob and Elliot this week, because we're all off on holidays to different places, aren't yeah. we? Oh, WQS. Although... I guess that would be the dream to watch the WQS, holidays, it's all the same thing, extended holidays, WQS. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) these guys are going, yes, okay, fine, right, I'm just jealous. They're going to WQS in Portugal, um, so we've had a little chat with them for the show that we're doing in two weeks' time. Um, And what are we doing in two weeks' time, Dodd? In two weeks' time, we have Mark Vaughan, Emily Williams, and Harry Cromwell. And we're going to be talking about all things to do with Welsh competitive surfing. Uh, these two, Logan and Pat, are going to be making a little uh, cameo appearance on that one as well, although we're picking their bit up now because they're going to be uh, in Portugal. And we're going to talk about the upcoming Worlds in El Salvador and who knows even whether or not there's even the smallest outside chance of perhaps a Welsh dragon flying in Tokyo 2021. We'll probably know more about that might even have to finish answers by then already. Uh, in the meantime, here we are. It's uh, Elliot and Rob taking over for the week while me and Dodd go on holiday. Where are we going? Somewhere not, not quite as salubrious as Portugal. Uh, uh, I think we're going to El Salvador. Oh, okay. <laughs> keep it quiet. They're not meant to know that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's a recce trip, isn't it? So, uh, in the meantime, here's Rob and Elliot, and they are talking to, formerly of Wales and now of the French and Swiss Alps, it's Frankie Pioli. Enjoy the show. One, This edition of Crest, we chat to a surfer, skier, mountain biker, climber, and physio to the stars. A thrill seeker of the highest order, Frankie Pioli has turned her hand rather successfully to many an adventure sport, though still considers herself a surfer at heart. From humble beginnings ski racing in Birmingham of all places, to traipsing around the world in search of surf, Frankie has seemingly shaped her life around her love of adventure. We'll hear her tale of a life dictated by surfing and adventure. A woman of many talents and some serious bottle. Welcome to the show, Frankie. Hey. And those of you with a keen ear will have already have identified the dulcet tones of my fellow Crestcaster for today. The latest recruit to the ranks of Wales' professional sunbathers, uh, I mean lifeguards, it's Di Hasselhoff himself, Elliot Dudley. How you doing, mate? Yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, Rob. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a tough time down at Coney Beach uh, over the Easter break, but uh, settling back into to normality and, uh, and a bit of flatness as well. So, uh, yeah, just classic, uh, classic spring in Wales, really. Great to have you on, Frankie. And, uh, yeah, excited to um, find out a little bit more about what you've been up to um, over the last few years. Frankie is what we describe as an underground ripper, someone who goes about her business diligently and purposefully without the need for fanfare from any corner. 
In her current home of Chamonix in the French Alps, Frankie is regularly skiing, mountain biking, and climbing. And when I say skiing, mountain biking, and climbing, I mean really skiing, mountain biking, and climbing. Just take a look at her Instagram account. Yes, indeed. As I mentioned in the intros, Frankie has some serious bottle. Her Instagram pays testament to this, though you wouldn't catch her talking in those terms. Nope, Frankie is as humble as they come. Her exploits on board, ski, bike, and sheer cliff face are all part of her everyday life. And like many of our guests here on Crest, Frankie has shaped her life around her love of adventure and seemingly adrenaline. Now, I'm sure you'll answer this one uh, with an, an eye roll and an embarrassed laugh, Frankie. Uh, but would you describe yourself as a bit of a thrill seeker? Already laughing. <laughs> um... yeah. As Tom always says, we like to give the intros a bit of welly. So there you go. There's your intro done. Oh, God. Um, Yeah, I like adrenaline, but um, I definitely get scared. (laughs) Now, this is news to us. So you, Rob, and I were in university together in uh, in Cardiff. And I always assumed that you were a surfer from Mid Wales. Um, But based on Rob's intro, you actually grew up ski racing in Birmingham. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. So I grew up in well. Outside Birmingham. Yeah. Because we, I find in Wales, we're a bit kind of, we're a bit dismissive of anywhere that's, or especially as surfers from Wales, we're quite dismissive of anywhere that isn't coastal. So for us, Birmingham kind of encompasses the whole of the Midlands. So, which I, I can understand would be quite offensive to those who, who are from the Midlands and hate to probably be all lumbered with the, the term Brummie. Oh. So where, whereabouts were you, were you uh, did you grow up? Bromsgrove. Bromsgrove okay yeah. I've heard of that place definitely but yeah. so from a kind of um, a parental kind of influence point of view um you're obviously encouraged to pursue kind of alternative sports from an early age or was it the fact that you was there like a parental link um to skiing or did it just kind of come about organically did you just say I want to go skiing oh so actually they are like my my mum used to run school ski trips she was a PE teacher and so she used to take me on her school ski trips once a year from like a young age and um I absolutely loved it and I think I was I must have been like 13 or maybe 14 so I wasn't that young um and I went started like going to the dry slope in Birmingham and um did like a few little races but um just got to ski gates yeah it was fun yeah so was there any kind of correlation then between sort of the decision to go to uni in Cardiff uh, and the and the kind of desire to want to start surfing or was it all just a bit kind of uh oh so I was kind of lucky um my parents have a place in Wales and I would basically go to Wales to Abu Dhabi every weekend every holiday all summers and so I was always in the water um so yeah I was just obsessed with the sea and then started surfing when I was about 14 kind of surfing not really just kind of splashing around in the water got a surfboard and never looked back from there yeah <laughs> and so would, would you say that that uh, influenced your, your choice to go to to Cardiff University oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. it was it was Plymouth or Cardiff and um, I can't remember if Plymouth even did physio yeah so I but that's where it. you were going yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> it's an interesting one um, with universities. Often people kind of um, often have a limited choice if, you're a, if you surf. There's probably more universities now than there, there were that have an option 
to surf. You know, you've probably got like Swansea, Plymouth, Cardiff. Um, but I think Cardiff obviously had a, has a very good reputation with certain subjects, doesn't it? You know, like physio, for example. Um, I know I went there, you know, I, I could have gone to Swansea or, or another university, but I think it, at the time it was sort of the, the best university I could get into that was within half an hour drive of the beach. Um, and I think that's, that's had an attraction for quite a lot of surfers over the years. You know, as, as you would know, probably from our time there, there was tons of people in the surf club, wasn't there? And some, some pretty good surfers as well, knocking around at the time. Um, yeah, obviously other than, other than Rob. Um, but, uh, it, it was through that surf club as well that Elliot just mentioned, Frankie, it was, uh, the Bucks competition, of course, the annual, um, student competition down in Newquay, where you got your, your first taste of competitive surfing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. <laughs> and yeah, that's one word for it. And it was through that, that you picked up your, your sponsorship with Goal. You were the face of Goal wetsuits for many a year, weren't you? Oh uh, yeah. I think it's like four years. Yeah. That was quite handy as a student, actually, uh, when you've got no money and you need wetsuits. Absolutely. I think we can all attest to that. And um, as we've already uh, alluded to, you studied physiotherapy at Cardiff University. And would would I be way off the mark to assume that um, this had some part in like a master plan to be able to surf all the time? Yeah, I think the ground plan with the physio was, yeah, I'm kind of interested in it that's probably a good place to start <laughs> but that was you can sort of travel with it I haven't got very far but <laughs> uh, <laughs> getting there here at no limit wetsuits a reputable company with 30 years experience we use the best neoprene on the planet guaranteed perfect fit full aftercare service should you need it so whether you're from north wales west wales pembrokeshire or the rest of uk Feel free to call me or check out nolimitwetsuits.co.uk. Greg Owen, Welsh surfing champ, eight times. Well, straight from uh, university, you went into, I say an in inverted comma, a proper job. You were working for the NHS, weren't you, um, as a physiotherapist? As a physiotherapist. And that lasted a little while until, I guess, Wanderlust uh, got the better of you and uh, you packed it all in yeah, to pursue so- the surfing dream. So yeah, when when you say is physio good good for for surfers, like working in the NHS, it was kind of Monday to Friday, nine to five, weekend warrior, and then obviously it's quite fickle in like well, Northwest Wales is a bit mm. fickle. Um, so yeah, it's just it was quite hard to to surf around that, um, and then you you'd kind of I'd save up all my money and go and go to beautiful places on holiday and stuff. Um, and I chose to go into the NHS because you get really good experience. But I did stay there, like, stayed there maybe three, four years. And I think I'd only kind of planned to stay maybe a year or two. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I was, I, was, I was struggling with the hours a little bit. I know it sounds really bad, but not being able to surf. <laughs> yeah, I think we all, we all yeah. struggle with those hours. I think Rob, Rob and I will both kind of sort of say that. You know, when during term time, when we're teaching and um, and we're not able to go, it's it's really frustrating, you know, and it's we yeah. don't get waves all the time, do we? So you do get really good holidays as a teacher, though, don't you? That is true. But that's not why we're teachers. I repeat, <laughs> that is not why we are teachers. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've thought about doing my uh, my teacher training, actually. <laughs> so the uh, when you resigned from that position um, with the NHS, Frankie, travel followed 
um i know that you, you did a bit of traveling during this time and well i say during this time it was actually quite a, sub- a substantial kind of never-ending trip wasn't it for a while yeah i just basically jumped in my jumped in my van where did i go and then went straight to hospital basically <laughs> hung out there for a bit and then yes, certainly worst places to be came back and I, I remember like I went to Thursday, East Coast and just like fully made the most of kind of that like September to end of November period of like good swell um, in the UK. When we think about surf travel, we've got so many really great waves on our doorstep in, um, I'm thinking specifically about Scotland and Ireland. And yet we all try to hop a plane to the warmest place we possibly can, uh, given any opportunity. And I think there'll, there'll be so many British surfers that will probably never really explore those places during their lifetime. So it's interesting that you chose to to kind of get that done. And I'm assuming that you you scored. Yeah, yeah, it's good. There's there's amazing waves in the UK. Um, you just need the time and the yeah and a van. <laughs> so yeah, and then basically full cold turkey went to the Alps, went back to Valdezere, and then. I did. I have done a couple of surf trips since. But okay, so it's it's in the Alps that you um, began mountain biking, skiing, and climbing regularly. So w- was that kind of in lieu of surfing, or um, are you just the kind of sort of person that can't sit still? In fact, we've got another one of those uh, kind of people on the the crest cast today in Elliot Dudley. He cannot sit still for a minute. You've got to be doing something. Would you say that fairly describes you, Frankie? Oh uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I am. Um... Well, I did, I biked a little bit when I was living in Wales because, again, it was like an absolute mecca for biking. Um, and when it's flat, you need something else to do. Um, yeah, and then I only really started climbing when I moved here, so a couple of years ago, but I'm, I'm still relatively, like, okay. to it. I mean, I had a, I climbed a lot last summer. Yeah, There's sports that... Um... I, I hate to use this term and I'm sure you'll roll your eyes when I say action sports, but it's it's hard to kind of think of a, a coverall phrase to describe all of these sports. I think that, that what your average Joe on the street would describe as adventure sports or action sports. Are there any similarities um, between mountain biking, climbing, skiing, and of course, surfing? Yeah. Um, they're all pretty dependent on the climate and the, and the weather. And so, yeah, so, so especially living in, in Chamonix, because we're a little bit lower down, um, like the weather's changing all the time. So, for example, this um, this this winter, um, not really done that much skiing. Okay, the lifts haven't been open, but it's been so dry. We've just been riding our bikes, yeah. And then if it's nose, we'll go skiing. <laughs> so it's, it depends on the on the on the weather, I guess. I know um, when I was growing up, my um, my dad was always into mountain biking, kind of since the early days of mountain biking uh in the 80s and um so i was kind of grew up around it did you know whenever it was flat i used to go mountain biking with him but i always remember he had a, a u.s mountain bike magazine and um basically they had some of the spots in wales were listed in like the top 10 spots in the world to mountain bike and uh i always remember thinking as a surfer i was like i live in the kind of mountain biking equivalent of south africa or australia um but unfortunately i surf so i'm in the Unfortunately, in the kind of the worst, probably one of the worst places in the Atlantic, really, to surf. Um, that is that something you're probably in again, in one of the best places in the world for mountain biking. Is that something that you kind of 
feel blessed with that kind of keeps you there? Um, or you, or would you ultimately rather be closer to the beach? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I totally, well, you just got to take what you've got to take what's on your doorstep, I guess. Um, and I love it. I, yeah. I love all the sports, but, um, I do really miss the beach. Um, I think, yeah, a few more years and I'll definitely be back. Is that being made worse by the kind of the French lockdown situation and the inability to travel? Cause it's not in France, they've got great transport. You know, you can, I know guys that live in, in the Alps that come that go to the coast regularly, they get the train to like Biritz, um, and they surf for a weekend. Obviously that's, I presume that's something that's been quite difficult for you over the last 12 months. Is that something that a lot of, you know, a lot of people do in, in your area that you know of that surf or? Yeah, well, we're, we're only like 45 minutes an hour from Geneva airport. Um, so it's pretty easy to just jump on a plane and go and surf. But I mean, Hossegore and that, that's probably 10 hour drive, maybe more. It's quite far still. Clearly, Frankie, from the, the way you're speaking, you are uh, still very much a surfer at heart. But like we've already mentioned, you've had to take up these the mountain biking, the skiing, the the climbing to kind of find your adrenaline fix elsewhere. And um, you've competed at a pretty high level in the enduro races on the mountain bikes, right? Oh, I, uh, I don't know if it's a high level, but I've definitely done some enduro races. But yeah, I just, um, not last summer because of the COVID, uh, it's like pandemic issue, but the summer before, um, yeah, it was, it was a great excuse to just nip over to Italy and do some see some pretty places, eat some amazing food and ride bikes. So it's an excuse to travel for weekends, really. And I suppose it's not that far far from Chamonix to nip over, like you say, nip over to Italy. What a lovely idea that is. It's amazing. Like Chamonix is basically, you've got Mont Blanc and then we're this side. Italy's just just through the tunnel on the other side and then Switzerland's kind of on the other side. It's just, yeah, surrounding Mont Blanc is super easy just chamonix pretty central and it also um happens to be the place where as so uh often happens in life you're in the right place at the right time and you bumped into a fellow cardiff alumni uh didn't you and somehow landed a job with the ski uh the swiss free ski team how did (laughs) tell us about that yeah so i i moved over here from from and um a friend reached out wanted physio um so yeah, I need to start working over here. Um, saw her for a few treatments and I can say who it is. Um, and she's actually the current Olympic gold medalist for free ski, for freestyle wow. skiing. And um, yeah, so I was treating her for a bit and then she um, put me in touch with this, the, the team who kind of interviewed me and then gave me the post for last season. Um, but yeah, I, we were at uni together. So <laughs> Incredible. she was in the ski club I, I, presumably that opportunity afforded you lots of experience traveling to to kind of far flung, far flung places following that tour yeah so it was uh, it was really intense actually um so pretty much from october to march pretty much living out of a out of a bag on a plane every weekend it yeah at different competitions training camps and just following the team and yeah amazing now see if i were a tabloid journalist i'd be pushing you for some kind of uh, dubious stories about the the swiss free ski team but not to put you on the spot but it would be remiss of me to have uh, such a highly qualified physiotherapist on the show 
and not to seek some professional advice on behalf of our listeners. So as I've mentioned, you're clearly uh, someone with an incredible amount of experience in quite grueling, physically demanding and sometimes painful and risky sports. Best thing that that we, our listeners, can do to stay in the best shape uh, for surfing. After that first lockdown where I didn't surf for so long, I got back in the seat and everything ached. And I just found I was really susceptible to injuries from the slightest thing. Whereas in the past, I just kind of I'd shake them off. You know, I, I, I seem to be immune to, to small injuries, but I certainly pick them up a lot more frequently having not surfed for quite some time. Uh, yeah, totally. Well, I think you just said it actually. Um, so yeah, like, I think you guys have, have you, you've just been in lockdown for quite a while. Have you been able to surf? Uh, <clears throat> Legally. Um, <laughs> No. Officially, no. officially okay um yeah so like I I've just I'm kind of just learning this as well but knowing when you're tired and listening to your body and knowing when maybe you should stop and get out of the water rather than kind of because you get you're having an amazing time you're catching all the waves and and then you just want to power on through but then you're you're kind of like oh I'm a bit cold and your wave count kind of drops and actually like that's kind of when accidents are going to happen and because maybe you haven't been doing so much so much sport your fitness isn't quite there you're not you're not paddle fit um yeah now's now's the time you kind of need to listen to your body and is is there a a a, so a silver bullet i'll say of sorts or is it a combination of things it's listening to your body is there any anything we can uh practical that we can do to help kind of um allow us to, to perhaps keep surfing for longer, whether that's longer sessions or I'm thinking more um, later into our lives, surfing at, uh, at a high level. I mean, Elliot, at your mid, what are you now? Mid thirties, no. mate. Oh, so we can, we can leave it at that. Yeah. No, it's okay. very, it's interesting. You say that Frankie, a lot, I, I often get like a, a lot of jiff off people for, for training and, and I, I've always done it. Um, trained, you know, aside from surfing you know so even if i'm not surfing i'll do other stuff um but one of the reasons i've always done that is for exactly that reason that you said is that i would we we don't get waves that often do we in wales um and it would be super annoying if you had to get out after say an hour and a half um when the waves are going off for the first time in you know a month um and that's one of the reasons why i've always been so obsessive about being at my kind of not peak fitness but fit, fit all the time for that reason yeah 100% and yeah I totally recommend like training out of the water for kind of yeah when the surf arrives um but yeah I'd also say yeah there's no silver bullet sorry (laughs) but um I've noticed I had a a look around your your website and interesting post on recovery and you you mentioned um how a positive mindset um can really help kind of uh speed up that that process yeah like Touching on sports psychology a little bit. I mean, that's not my field exactly, but um, no. yeah, staying positive, hundred percent, like always, always going to help. Um, eating well, all of this. There was, I was going to say actually regarding kind of keeping fit for surfing and like being able to surf for longer in your life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, looking after body. Um, if you if you keep doing the same sport over and over again be it like mountain biking, skiing, climbing, surfing, whatever. It's exactly the same as if you'd sort of sit at a desk and be typing away all the time. You're more prone to those, to certain injuries, to certain muscle groups getting tight, 
overuse of certain muscle groups, that kind of thing. So it's really, it's a really good idea to kind of identify what for your sport, for example, surfing, like what those muscle groups are. So generally surfers probably going to be really stiff in your thoracic spine, like quite tight in your pecs, paddling. Um, and so like, yeah, stretching those sort of things out. Yoga's great. <laughs> it's interesting what you just said that I, um, I met the coach of the Chilean surf team um, a few years ago. And uh, I was actually, I was in Chile last, last year, just about a year ago. And it was interesting talking to him. And the biggest issue that he had with his, um, his team was the predominance of left-handers in Chile um, because of the kind of the muscular dominance um, from going the one way all the time. So he was having to do loads of uh, work with his athletes to kind of balance that out. Um, and it's something that we probably don't, most surfers don't even consider, but um, even to the point where, you know, we most surfers are, you know, you're either back foot or front foot dominant, um, which will create all sorts of issues. It's different, I suppose, with a sport like skiing, is it? It's more kind of, it's more bilateral, would you agree? Or Yeah. Um, I mean, the the free skiers who are like hitting jumps they're always going to favor spinning one way or landing kind of a bit more on one leg than the other they're, try, they're not ambi ambi turners they they do have to spin both ways but yeah. generally they they're always going to have a bit of an uh, imbalance but um is there generally i wanted skiing, to ask you about yeah. this because obviously like that's an insight into something that I know I know nothing about, but I don't doubt Rob knows that much either. Um, in terms of that kind of the free the freestyle skiing and that kind of thing, are there any? It, it always used to be skiing was like really bad for knee injuries, and then um, bindings kind of improved, boots improved, and then it became that the injuries kind of shifted accordingly. Are there any kind of injuries that you tend to see more more often than others, or is it kind of a, a real plethora? It's funny you should say bindings actually. Because there's new injuries that have come up since people have been starting to use pin bindings. Right. So you can lock your toe. It's awful. So you, you lock your toe in so you can walk up to skin up the mountain. Yeah. And then you unlock it, clip your heel in and ski down. But some people on like sometimes like steeper terrain and things like to clip their toe in so it can't pop off. Right. And um, yeah, we're seeing some pretty nasty spiral fractures of the tibia and yeah i can imagine so it's kind of almost like telemark skiing uh no no so you're skiing down with your, your bindings clipped in like normal skiing but they just lock the front toe in so if you fall over it doesn't release but i mean with with, te with telemark with telemark do their skis come off by, or do they just get locked in i don't know actually <laughs> i always just love those skiers because they look like they, they look like they were doing a drop knee turn it kind of reminded me of longboarding yeah um, but yeah, are there any like are there kind of like loads of like ACL injuries and stuff like that, or or not really? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the main one with skiing. Um, yeah, yeah. ACL injuries, hundred percent. It's um it's something that I find funny these days. Um, I think we all. I think in twenty years' time, there's going to be quite a lot of people that were you know that are our age that are, are really going to regret having done some of the stuff they did, um, and push their bodies to the level they did because it's kind of an injury's become kind of a bit of a badge of honor you know you go to the gym or whatever and you tell them about your acl have you, have you done your I acl think, oh no <laughs> i think from my experience what people don't seem to understand is that in 30 years time when you're in your 60s um that sort of ends up translating to some serious kind of arthritis and 
you know, complications that will probably actually impact on your life a lot more than you probably would have thought. Is that something that you that concerns you or do you just live in the day and not really worry about it? Uh, no, 100%. So actually this summer, um, I didn't listen to my own advice and was not, um, I wasn't like as strong or as fit as I, I am usually um, coming out of lockdown and then just went full health of leather climbing, um, went to an indoor bouldering gym and usually I'm there for like an hour, two hours, get tired, go home, something else. But for some reason, I was there for about five hours and definitely should have gone home. Like, and stupidly, it's like, oh, I'll just do one more route on this overhang thing. And then obviously, like, fell off because I was really tired, twisted my ankle, broke my ankle, basically an explosion. And um, yeah, yeah, uh, like, perfect example of not really listening to your body <laughs> i don't yeah. recommend it um but yeah arthritis but no cartilage ligaments and i totally totally regret it oh my goodness it would, <laughs> so i don't want anyone else to do that it's enough to put anybody off doing anything if they well, weren't you better you better stop running now then mate if, if uh, they weren't quite so fun yeah well yeah maybe i will i'll stop um what it's i would really like fun, to though. yeah that's the problem but never mind i i wanted to ask you frankie um a, a question quite specific to i guess a few of uh our veteran surfers that listen to the cast um i know this is the case um certainly for my dad that the thing limiting uh, his surfing and he, he didn't surf at all last year just simply because he finds it so painful to to push up from a prone position on a surfboard to his feet his lower back oh. is is super stiff and I know it's quite a common thing in older surfers would you again would you say there's anything they could do to to help alleviate that the obvious thing and I tell him time and time again is to stretch is to do yoga but mm. especially for uh your your vintage surfers they um they're quite set in their ways often and reluctant to do any of that they, you know they just they grew up surfing they want to go surfing exactly as they as they did back then i know elliot you'll say to to get a, a bigger board well, and I, support I'm yourself through equipment yeah but from a, a, a body perspective what would you recommend yeah well i would say yeah get a bigger board equipment blah 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 but i, I totally understand you want to be able to do yeah so um pushing up into extension bit bit older it sounds kind of more arthritic kind of classic compression blah 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 Mm -hmm. um just trying to warm up beforehand before going into the water so just doing like forward flexion side movements like side to side back lung on your back knees side to side just just warming up before you get into the water and seeing if that helps relieve it and yeah of course stretching (laughs) and um if you can try and get him into yoga I mean I actually I should I should be endorsed by this company because I tell all my patients to go on this app but um there's an app called down dog and you can literally set it for five ten minutes 15 minutes as long as you've got the like and it will create you a little yoga sequence to follow and you can set beginner beginner to intermediate all the way up to advanced whatever you are you know and um yeah it's great definitely check that one out sounds good i was actually gonna say frankie with the warm-ups you um you made me think of um i presume you've been to portugal and spain before so the portuguese are the kings and queens of uh the warm-up 
and they don't take a warm-up lightly um it you could literally film them and send them to Kanakuka the day on a on a regular basis and they they're go, usually they in speedos as well aren't they yeah they'll, they'll wear some interesting kind of bathing attire but it's like they're literally what you'll see a beginner lesson where the person's only sort of movement will be standing up and they'll be doing the the gabriel medina um hack simulation warm-up which is quite a popular one um and yeah and i've actually seen guys go down to the to the for a surf with sort of 20 minutes of daylight left the kind of quick session where you just run in you know and just get a couple of waves and i've seen guys do a full 15 minute warm-up during the last uh golden golden half hour of light and i thought to myself god you guys are really missing a trick but they probably have very healthy backs and knees um so yeah i guess it's, it's kind of swings and roundabouts there but uh but yeah so is there a kind of i guess what i'm asking you what i'm getting at is is there a sort of a kind of golden number in terms of warming up or is it kind of just getting to know what works for you um well yeah getting to know what works for you 100 percent, and and depending on what your sport is i mean surfing um there's areas that you're going to use more than others well actually no yeah. surfing's pretty it's pretty out of all the sports it's quite gentle on your body i think but again you're you're at risk of that repetitive strain kind of injuries shoulders lower back that kind of stuff um but yeah no there's no magic number <laughs> make sure you're warm right. yeah yeah which is difficult at times i think in especially in wales in the winter you just want to just get in there and get out don't you sometimes so, definitely uh, yeah learn with the best the wsf surf school here at Llangeneth Beach, South Wales. Established in 1981, the Welsh Surfing Federation Surf School is the oldest surf school in Wales. We're a not-for-profit surf school where all profits go back to the Welsh Surfing Federation. Lessons run daily from 10 till 12 and 2 till 4 by appointment. All equipment is included. Expert tuition from our experienced instructors covers the basics through to onward coaching. You're in safe hands learning with the Welsh Surfing Federation Surf School. Sound advice to keep all of our listeners primed ready for the heavier waves of foreign shores when international travel resumes. But for now, we're all still stuck here. And it could be worse, especially after the winter of surf that we just had. But to temper any longing for surf travel that you might be experiencing, it's time for a surf travel nightmare. Yes, indeed. So, uh, Frankie, each uh, and, well, most episodes of Crest um, have come complete with a surf travel nightmare. And this really started... Um, as Elliot used the language there, to, to temper the longing to go on any surf trips, because we found that when that first lockdown came into place uh, a whole year ago now, um, we were kind of climbing the walls and, and really wanted to get away, and we couldn't. And so we came up with the idea of including a surf travel nightmare to, to put to bed any ideas of surf travel and remind ourselves of all of the reasons why surf travel is absolutely the worst. And today we have a story from Anonymous. Yes, him again. And it's a cracker. So without further ado, here we go. Never let it be said that Portuguese locals are unwelcoming. In the countless trips that I've made to this special corner of Europe over the years, I've experienced only warm hospitality and friendliness. Sure, they demand respect and adherence to the rules of their lineups, but that's how surfing should be. And provided that you arrive quietly with a smile, don't make a mess and don't needlessly jockey for waves, you will be afforded the same respect. Oh yeah, and also don't try to deceive them. 
that doesn't play too well as you'll hear in this tale of toilet woe. Stepping off the plane in Lisbon and having just flown from Chile, London, I was relishing the warmth of the balmy autumnal Portuguese air. I had no real plans, just a board bag, a hire car, and three weeks of adventure ahead of me. I'd agreed to meet an old friend who was living in the beach town of Carcavelos for some beers and a catch-up, but after jumping through the inevitable hoops associated with continental car hire, or any car hire for that matter, I was running considerably late. Fortunately, Carcavelos is but a hop, skip, and a jump from the airport, so although waylaid, I arrived with plenty of time to make the most of Lisbon's famous nightlife. Upon arrival in Carcavelos, my friend, let's call him Tim, explained that he and a few friends were heading to a house party at the home of a notable local ripper. This is perfect, I thought to myself. Off the plane and already hanging out with the locals. This boded very well for my wave count over the coming days, especially in the notoriously competitive Carcavelos lineup. Without needing much persuasion, I parked my car up in Tim's little nook of a courtyard and headed for the party. During the short walk to said party, Tim confirmed my initial thoughts. The party was being thrown by a local ripper to celebrate his girlfriend's birthday, and anyone who was anyone, in the Carcavelos lineup at least, would be there. It would be the perfect opportunity to make friends and hopefully up my wave count. We arrived and were immediately welcomed like old friends. Beers were thrust into our hands, and I was taken by the host to be introduced to just about everyone there, it seemed. Things were going great, beers were flowing, and the dance floor was starting to light up. Man, I love Portugal. It was then that my stomach started to rumble, and a sharp pang of cramp made me grimace. Ouch. The pain passed, and I was having too good a time to think much of it, until about ten minutes later, when the same thing happened again, but this time accompanied with a hefty urge to vacate my bowels. By now, the party was pumping and trying to assume the demeanor of a man completely untroubled by sudden bowel movements. I asked the host as to the whereabouts of his bathroom. He pointed me upstairs and I soon found the tiny room and thank God it was free. Even better, there was no one in the general vicinity because by now the metaphorical barbarians were very much at the gates and I was inclined to believe that what was about to happen could be extremely embarrassing if anyone were to associate me with the inevitable sights, sounds, and smells. Hastily shutting and locking the door, I managed to rip my pants down just in time to expel whatever it was that had caused me such discomfort. And without wanting to be too crude, it was horrific. Every time I stood thinking I'd finished, I was forced back to the bowl by another sharp stomach pain. And time started to pass really rather quickly. Before long, I could hear the chatter of an increasingly impatient and ever-growing queue outside the door of this, the only toilet in the whole house. Eventually, after what had seemed like a lifetime, but was in all likelihood more like 20 minutes, I managed to stand, and miraculously, I was pain-free. I was fixed, ready to party again, fantastic. But alas, it was not to be. I knew at first glance, before I'd even fully depressed the flush handle, that the toilet was blocked and it was far from a pretty sight. And there wasn't a thing in the bathroom that I could use to release the blockage. I broke out in a cold sweat. I was about to experience a level of embarrassment I was unaccustomed to and that, 
as a mild-mannered Brit, I wasn't sure I could survive. What's more, this had the potential to derail a perfectly good birthday celebration. After all, it was the only toilet in the whole house. This would surely put pay to my burgeoning friendship with the Carcavelos crew, and subsequently the place in the lineup that I'd been cultivating all evening. This just wouldn't do. Through the fog of panic, I knew exactly what I had to do next. I turned to the window and was dismayed to find that the only portion of it that opened was a relative sliver right at the very top. A letterbox-sized and shaped piece of frosted glass that opened on horizontal hinges. It would make escape difficult. But by now, it mattered not. The baying crowd had started banging on the door and it surely wouldn't be long until they forced their way in. And so, with as little fuss as possible, I posted myself out of the letterbox-esque window and onto the relative safety of the flat roof immediately below. It was then that I realised that the area below was full of revellers enjoying the party so a jump into the garden would have been far too conspicuous. Instead, I opted to jump into the adjacent street. I landed with ease and made my way back to the front of the house and rejoined the party. Mission accomplished, or not. From this side of the door, it was clear that there was much ado about the locked bathroom, and a considerable queue was now winding its way all the way down the stairs to the front door. Wanting to distance myself from any suspicion, I immediately joined in the speculation as to what on earth could be going on behind the door. Short of kicking the door down, it was decided that not a lot could be done. It was at this point that I had the bright idea of volunteering my services to climb up to the window to see if I could help resolve the situation from there. It was agreed that this was a good course of action, and with the help of a few of the local crew, I climbed back up onto the flat roof and peered in through the window. Feigning surprise, I announced that there was no one in there and that I'd climb in and open the door from the inside. At this exact moment, the baying mob unceremoniously forced the door open and a few of the local crew stumbled into the room and discovered the disconcerting toilet scene. After the initial barrage of appalled noises and gesticulations at the torrid toilet situation, one of them suddenly pointed animatedly at the floor. With my head now firmly wedged in the postbox window and surveying the scene from above, I was mortified to discover precisely what he was pointing at. It seems that in my haste and struggle to escape the blighted banero, my wallet and its contents, driver's license included, had fanned across the floor and wound up in the mess. <laughs> Needless to say, after regathering my belongings, Tim and I headed back to his... He was kind and understanding about the whole saga, if a little perplexed. The next morning, I headed north to Paniche, too embarrassed to even dream of treading foot on the fabled Carcavelo sands after being unmasked as the mystery poor. Dear me, can you imagine the embarrassment? Yeah, it's not a good one. It's uh, it's reminiscent of the uh, that scene from the the, the Ben Stiller movie, um, Along Came Polly. Have you ever seen that one? Um, in that in that one, he uses the loofah uh, <laughs> to to unblock said toilet. But uh, alas, there oh, was I, no. I don't know what's more embarrassing. <laughs> whether I mean, it's just a it's just a body. It's like blocking the toilet. It happens. But being, I think it's being unmasked as the person that climbed out of the window and tried to pass it off for somebody else. Yeah, it must happen a lot in Portugal, though. Their their toilets are pretty. Uh, they use those pipes. low volume toilets, don't they? You know, they're just Jeez. not cut out for. for I'm good sweating old British, just reading uh, that. That is. It, 
It just reminded me of something really funny that happened. Well, as is customary, Frankie, we now Uh, ask you if you've had your own uh, surf travel nightmare. Um, And it seems you do have one in mind. Well, yeah, but yeah. You can't talk about it. Different one. Okay. No, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say what I'm laughing to myself at. But yeah, like in Sri Lanka, we there was four of us in a little little tuk tuk. Well, no, two tuk tuks, four people, and um, we all stopped to get some food, uh, like a food cart, on the way to our second surf. And by the time we all got like to this beach in the middle of nowhere, there was no one there, like nothing there, apart from a wave. It's perfect. Um, we were all just like, oh, uh, hmm. <laughs> Everyone's just like a little bit, a bit quiet, a little bit sheepish. And yeah. <laughs> we all just kind of like get into the water. Well, all but one get into the water. And then like one by one, just kind of like paddle off. Oh, no. <laughs> Everyone's doing their little aqua. Ye old aqua poo. I mean, that happens. I think that's that's a, a staple of any uh, surf trip uh, to the tropics, isn't it? aqua yeah. Apart from but, the one that went behind a rock. What an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the water's there for a reason. Nature's toilet. Oh. And there are fish that uh, do the job, the, the infamous Indonesian poo fish um, <laughs> that, that loiters by the boat. And yeah, and everybody poo. catches those, don't they? Yeah, and the, oh. the Indonesians won't eat them, though, for obvious reasons. Yeah, uh, the, so. your, your, your Western tourists often do. I've caught a great <laughs> fish. Check this thing out. <laughs> the poo fish. Okay, so well, we've heard we've heard uh, a brief uh, travel nightmare from you there, Frankie. Um, uh, have you oh, yeah. escaped relatively unscathed over the years of uh, surf travel? Uh, no. So yeah, the, I, I was going to say um, it's always on the first day, isn't it? So um, again in Sri Lanka, first day. I'd been there the year before, so I was like, yeah, no, I, I know it. It's fine. Well, anyway, first day, first surf, went to paddle out at the point, Aragon Bay. It's basically tiny bit of reef and then it's just a speechy point break it's super super mellow really fun anyway like walking out through the reef mellow mellow went go to jump on my board and I think it's just like the the coral just went straight through my foot (laughs) instead of jumping up you kind of like just forced yourself down onto it apparently so um yeah um yeah so kind of paddled out I was like oh I'll be fine it'll be fine had a look when I got out back I was like oh nope but come back in and some kind uh, local kid comes over on his motorbike, um, piles me onto the back of his motorbike on really soft sand. I, I don't know what I was. Yeah, I was terrified. <laughs> and um, and then went and got it stitched up on a on a, a tarp covered in blood mm. stains and stuff. stuff. Um, inevitably, it got infected twice. Um, lots of antibiotics. That's your uh, your classic uh, tale of of tropic woe, isn't it? Catching yourself early on in the trip. And it festers festers and seeps, doesn't it, in that heat? It doesn't really give it a chance to heal. No, so two weeks it took to heal. How long were you there for? Luckily, I was there for five weeks, so I did get some surfing in. But, oh. It's a pretty classic travel nightmare, that one. If in doubt, (laughs) soak it with iodine is, is the way forward. It just kills everything. And uh, yeah, that's my uh, that's my little tip there. I know I've had a few infections, and I iodine's the only tried and tested one that will not allow anything in. Is it hydrogen peroxide that I use or something like that? And it's it's mean. It's really really. 
<laughs> seal the you bubbles. Know if it's, you know, if it stings, it's, it's good. That's my yeah. mantra. If it stings, <laughs> it's killing stuff, you know. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Even if it's just lime juice, that's yeah. always a good one as well. Oh, that's mean. It hurts. Thank you so much, Frankie, for your time, insight and stories from your plethora of sporting endeavours. And if you'd like to keep up to date with Frankie's adventures, or if you're after some sport-specific physio advice, then be sure to check out Frankie's website, www.frankiepioli.com. Thank you for that. Yes. Um, And as we've discovered during this podcast, that I think between you, uh, Frankie and Elliot, you've covered just about every sport. You must surely one day you're going to find what um, something that you're good at but there we are thank you uh, <laughs> so much frankie for your time uh, and tales it continues to astonish me uh, just how much mm. talent and the amount of, of diverse stories that we have in our little welsh surfing community and it's a pleasure to share them with everyone thank you for having me no worries and it's more of these diverse stories that we want to share so whatever story tips or comments you have please do get in touch either through our email address, castcrest at gmail.com or via our Instagram or Twitter pages. If you haven't already, do also please subscribe via one of our platforms, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. And if you like what you've heard, then please do let us know in a review. Anyway, enjoy the weather, lighter evenings, and hopefully waves. Thanks again. Dioch and Val. Oh, Val. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks there to Frankie and to Rob and Elliot for the interview. In a fortnight, Tom and I will be back from our fact-finding holiday and we're putting together a special to really focus in on the Olympic situation as we learn more about what a British or even Welsh surfer might have to do to stand a chance of actually taking the lineup in Tokyo in 2021. To that end, we have a few key figures from Welsh surfing to talk us through their experiences of the recently held British Nationals up in Thurso and we'll be trying to speculate as to what might happen at the Worlds in El Salvador if the comp gets the green light as we're all hoping. That's what's coming up in the next episode of Crest in partnership with Illusion. Thank you.